We are in part three of our First Corinthians series entitled Practical Faithfulness. And I entitled today's message, Faithful to Speak for God Rightly. And I want to begin with just some simple concepts. The first one is this. The body of Christ, of which every believer, every true believer is a part of, carries out God's will on earth. We need to understand that. How it works practically is this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us and showed us what it looks like for God to interact in the world. He taught us how to treat people. He taught us how to act in certain situations. He taught us how to love. He taught us how to confront. He taught us how to manage relationships. He taught us how to handle people that are our enemies. He taught us all sorts of things and lived a life as an example that we might follow. Then he said the phrase, it's better that I go away. He said, as a matter of fact, you're going to do greater things than what you've seen me do. Now, how is that possible? How is the body of Christ going to do more than what Jesus Christ did in the flesh, in the sense of ministry to people? Well, very simply because it's better he goes away that he might what? Send the Holy Spirit who would indwell the people the same spirit that Jesus was operating of. And he said, we're no longer going to keep the ministry local in Israel, but we're about to go worldwide. We will go all over into every corner of the earth and the Holy Spirit will empower you to do the things that I've been doing and we will change this place. So very practically, we are called the body of Christ because we carry out his activity. Just as Adam and Eve... We're given stewardship over the Garden of Eden. So too we as salt and light have been sprinkled out into the world to steward God's stuff. We are to share on his behalf. So what does he really want us to do? Well, he has a lot of things to tell the world. He has a lot of things that he wants to speak into their lives. He wants the world to know the good news. He wants the world to know the gospel. He wants the world to know that he loves them, that he died for them. He wants the world to know that he's watching them and cares for them and is intimately involved and active and alive today. But how's he going to get that message through? It's going to be you. How does God speak today? Well, most accurately, he speaks through his word. When you know the word of God and your friends are going through something, you can speak life into them because you can share God's word on a matter. When you pray for them and intercede for them, you can pray in a way that God desires. You can pray the thoughts of Jesus over someone else when you know his word. So if we want to talk about solid and reliable, let's talk about God's word. Now, obviously less reliable, God speaks to the world through our lives. But our lives are so on, off, flaky, kind of all over the place because he's speaking to the world through us. And how you live is saying something. How you act to your co-workers, how you handle things in the car, how you handle things with your kids, how you handle things in your marriage. These are all communicating to the world something about Jesus if you are a believer. 
Is that accurate? Well, to some of us, it's more accurate. And in some of us, it's less. But I will tell you this. God still has many, many things to say. And he wants to say them through you. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. God has things to say through you. God has things to say through you. If God taps you on the shoulder right now and says, I want you to talk to that person about me, what are you going to do? You going to do it? You going to shy away? I can't do that. That's not my gig. You're going to play the Moses thing? Well, I'm kind of quiet. I can't speak right. I can't do this. Can't do that. You got a million excuses on what you're going to do. Paul the Apostle is about to share a piece of his life and explain how he did his ministry and how we are equipped to speak on God's behalf in certain ways. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, it's page 952. If you don't have a Bible, it should be one under the seat in front of you. If you can... Maybe grab the Bible there, turn with me to page 952 or thereabouts, 1 Corinthians 2.1. Let me recap where we've been. Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to a church that he had started maybe four years earlier. Remember, I told you that he settled it in this place called Corinth in modern-day Greece, which was equivalent to almost like a hardcore time in Vegas. Is it was super high, wealthy party place. It was absolutely over-sexualized. It was ridiculously crazy. And right there, he planted a brand new church with all new believers. Everybody's a baby believer. And they kind of got caught up, and they were really messed up from their society. And so Paul is writing them a letter four years later and saying, Hey, you guys, we need to change some stuff if we're going to honor God. That's the letter of 1 Corinthians. He said, you know what? You, God has already given you everything you need, but you're getting hijacked by the divisions that are happening within your home. You guys are fighting with each other. You're not on the same page, and that's going to screw up what God's trying to do. But you know what? I will tell you this. God chooses the foolish things, the weak things of the world, to shame the strong. So if you want to come in all arrogant, you're going to miss it. For God's way is the way of humility. We pick that up now in chapter 2. I'm going to read through the chapter and then we'll pray. Paul continues on. He says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now I understand as a first read through, you hear a spiritual this, spiritual that, oh, spirit this, spirit that. And you're like, I don't even understand what he just said. By the time we get done, you will. It's actually far more basic than you assume. Let's pray for it. Heavenly Father, What we do know out of what we just read is that we're not going to get it unless you open our eyes. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move among us, that you would let the scales fall from our eyes that we might see, that you would open up and unstop our ears, that you would soften our hearts and allow it to be good soil, that the word that is sown today would reap a harvest. God, would you open us to receive? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go back to verse 1. Take a look at it. Paul said, and I, when I came to you, meaning the first time I came to you, four years ago, he said. Now he's writing about 54, 55, it's about 80, 51 that he came in. And he said, when I first came to you, you guys, you remember how I acted. You remember my behavior. You remember my attitude. I mean, I had just come in from coming from Athens. You remember that. I told you that. The ministry was brutal there. It wasn't all that great. I feel like I had kind of one difficult time after another. I roll into town. God lets me know he wants me to preach in one of the sketchiest cities around. I came into your town. I fell in love with you guys. But don't get me wrong. I was scared out of my mind because of all the threats that were on my life. God, Jesus Christ had to come to me himself and say, hey, don't give up. I have a whole bunch of people in this city. You will not get taken out by these threats. I want you to continue to preach. And you remember, you guys, not only did I plant the church, I lived with you for a year and a half. You were my church. I was your pastor. But you remember what I was like, brothers, family. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I did not come to you giving you the gospel with lofty speech and wisdom. Now, if you remember last week's message, I explained that at that time in history, in that area of the world, lofty speech was everything. That was their entertainment. That was their big people that are famous and well-paid, and those were the rich people anyone that could talk and they could it didn't even matter what they were talking about if they could say anything super fancy and argue a point even if they didn't believe it they were heralded it as the best in society he said when i came in i was not going to play that game i'm not going to play your entertainment game of the day i'm not going to try to compete with them you have orators and philosophers and speakers that i will never be as good as So I'm not going to come in and try to do some big elaborate show for you to where I'm going to wow you and you're going to go, the only reason I'm at church is because it's better than the world. The only reason I'm going to go to church is because Paul can speak so fancy and he can do all this rhetoric and use all. I'm not doing any of that. I'm going counterculture and I'm going to be very basic with you. 
Listen, those guys can spin all that they want. I'm going to tell you, you're going to hell and you need Jesus. That's it. I'm going very straightforward. I did not come proclaiming the good news with lofty speech or wisdom. As a matter of fact, I decided, verse 2, I determined that my goal would be to know nothing while I was with you. I kept focused except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I had one basic message. I'm not going off it. I'm not getting caught up in your little arguments. I'm not going to spiral off on rabbit trails. I'm not going to spend all my time talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. I'm going to be very straightforward. Who is Jesus and what did he do on the cross? Because if you will always get sidetracked, if we're going to go off on these tangents. So especially in Corinth, especially with these baby Christians... I resolved to know nothing among you, and I would preach nothing but the core basics of Christianity. He said, and I was with you, verse 3, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, this is where commentaries split. Half the commentaries go one direction, half the commentaries go the other. Here's your two options. Does it mean that Paul was experiencing something like I experienced last Friday? Was he, was this referring to all the times when he was scared because of the threats on his life and maybe I'm ill-equipped for ministry and maybe I can't plan a church in this town. They're all not going to listen to me and the culture's just going to sweep them away. So I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling because it was just too much for me. Or... The other commentaries say, no, that's not Paul's style. Paul wasn't too worried about what people thought of him. As a matter of fact, Paul uses the exact same phrase of fear and trembling in Ephesians 6.5. Here's what Ephesians 6.5 says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Later he says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. That context is respect. Was Paul saying, I was with you with much fear and trembling because he took his responsibility before God so seriously? Is this a matter of just extreme respect? Where he said, I didn't come rolling into town. Hey, I'm going to set up a church and everyone's going to love it. It's all going to work out great. I went in and I said, you know what? The only thing that's going to happen here is what God brings about. I will come in with my head down. I will come in constantly checking in with God. God is what we're doing okay? Because I'm nervous I'm going to step out in front of you. I'm nervous I'm going to fall behind. So I'm always going to check in with you because of my incredible high view of God and my respect for his ministry. Now, it's likely it is the second. But you can certainly make that decision for yourself. I decided, he said, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom only. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That phrase demonstration means you can prove it in court. And I had absolute proof that what I told you was legit because of the power that raged through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about just changed lives. We know that Paul the Apostle did miracles. 
We know that where he went, people were healed, that the Holy Spirit did the most crazy things around him. There was speaking in tongues. There was all kinds of radical movements of the Spirit. Every time, no. All the time, no. But some of the time, yes. And so he said, I came to you, not just in talking, but in power. And look why he thinks that's so important. So that, verse 5, your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ might not rest in the wisdom of men, in smart people, but in the power of God, evidence that God is a part of it. I would suggest to you, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, verse 4 and 5 are some of the scariest passages in the Bible about ministry for me. And here's why. I'm afraid I only come in word. You guys, I'm really good with words. That's my gifting. It's the ability to talk and explain and dissect and organize. That's my gifting. But if you are at church or you are wowed or you understand because of my message and I can talk you into the kingdom, then someone can talk you out. If you can argue anyone into being a Christian, they can be argued out of being a Christian. I guess the nervousness I have is I don't want your faith that you are growing in, your foundation, to be merely set by man's wisdom. I want it to be legit that you know that you are in the presence of God. Not because of who's on stage, not because of who's teaching, but because the Holy Spirit is in our midst. And I wonder, Lord, is there not enough power being coursing through the ministry here at Bridgeway to be able to give you, without a shadow of a doubt, the idea that he is among us? And I worry about that. The problem is, is I don't have the Holy Spirit in my back pocket. I don't get a chance to pull him out like a puppet every time I want him to do that. He is in charge, and he gets to decide when he shows and when he doesn't show. I don't get to tell him what to do. But I wonder, to some degree, am I quenching what he is doing? Are we quenching what he wants to do? Is there power to be found here for the healing of our lives that we are not experiencing? These are things that keep me up at night. I don't know. But I would just throw it back to you. Let me, let me give you the challenge that I feel in my spirit. When you minister to other people, to the world, are you only talk? I'll just ask you that. Are you only talk? Do all you have is words? Hey, I got facts about Jesus. Well, that's great. You know what? There's facts about atheism. So let me ask you, are you rolling in with power? Are you praying with people? Are you praying over people? Do they see changed lives? Are they seeing the power coursing through your life? Or are you merely going in with a bunch of facts? Facts are good. Facts are necessary. Facts are absolute. Truth is what things are founded on. However, I ask you this. Are you only walking around with words? Have you sought the power of God? Have you dwelt with God to such a degree that you glow like Moses does? I pick it up in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Meaning we are going to go beyond and talk about the deep things of God with the mature. So here's where commentaries split again. Who are the mature? Some commentaries say, you know, he uses the word telios, and that means 
uh, kind of a mature means you've arrived, you are a disciple, you came into your own, you did what the teacher asked you to do, you are no longer a newbie, but now you are arrived to a certain degree that I can talk to you about more important stuff. So are we talking about adult versus infant? Is that what we're talking about? That there's immature believers and he's going to slam Corinth for being immature believers. And the idea is to grow up in your faith. I think you can argue that from other passages in scripture. Is that what he's talking about here? Or are we to take this word that can also mean complete and whole and look at it as Christian versus non-Christian? Among the mature, among the complete, among those that Jesus Christ has reconciled, saved, justified, made whole in the eyes of God. Among believers, we can talk about other stuff than just merely the gospel truth. Is that what he's referring to? I don't know. I would suggest that in the context, it seems to be the second. However, you can also make that determination. He said this, yet among the mature, let's say believers, we do impart wisdom, although not the wisdom of this age, meaning the stuff the world looks at, or of the rulers of this age, the leaders that the world has chosen. They are doomed to pass away because only God's stuff ever really remains. But we impart, verse 7, we hand out, we share a secret and hidden wisdom of God. What, what, What are we handing out? A secret and hidden wisdom of God. A mystery. Mysterion. Now, that phrase in scripture means it's a hidden truth that you can know if you're willing to just look at it. It's not hidden like you better become brilliant or else you're never going to understand Jesus. It's not that. It literally means to those who are given the information, you now know. If you're not given the information, you don't know. That's why it's a mystery to you. In other words, he's saying... We who are believers know that Jesus Christ died for our sins and it matters to us. The world doesn't know and doesn't care. So we have the secret. The secret is Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's awesome. The good news, the gospel has been revealed to us. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Redemption was not a, oops, we better save these sinful people. It was a, that was always the plan. We were always going to demonstrate our love. God was always going to send his one and only son to die for the sins of the world. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, God's plan. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, final split in commentaries. Once more, two options. Who are the rulers of this age? Are we talking about like Roman and Jewish leaders? The, the Jewish leaders that shouted, crucify! Crucify because they were saying this is not the Messiah. This guy is this guy's a joke He is not my Messiah. I don't want anything to do with him. He's messing with Yahweh I'm not all right with that. Get rid of this guy Crucify is that what they're talking about the rulers of the age that allowed Christ to be crucified Are we talking about Pilate and the Roman leaders who said I don't even care about this guy Just get him out of my face. You want to crucify him fine Do whatever you want to do because he doesn't matter in my world or Is it talking about the demonic? You know how you read the spiritual warfare passages and it talks about the spiritual forces And the prince and power of the air and principalities and powers. Remember that? Is it saying 
That the rulers of this world, meaning the demonic forces, Satan and his crew, who run the stuff in this world, they did not understand the plan of God. For if they had, they would have never crucified Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about it, that can also make sense. Why are they trying still? At some point, you got to go, wow, I'm not very good at taking the world down. And you go, well, the world looks terrible. Hold on. Let me show you how it normally goes. Hey, let's take down King David. He loves God. He's really into God. Let's have him have an affair and kill a guy. That would be awesome. Oh, look, we got him. God turns it around and she begins the messianic line. Whoops. That didn't go well. Hey, Jesus Christ is in the flesh. Let's kill him. Oops, the redemption of the world. I mean, at some point, you're not very good at it. At some point, you realize this isn't going the way I wanted to. Not only that, but don't you think Satan's read the Bible? Doesn't he know how it ends? It's right there in black and white. Why in the world is he still trying? I mean, if he truly understood the plan of God, why would he even consistently try? And I would suggest to you that it is likely... That God has put a hardening on his heart and a blanketing, just like Pharaoh, who kept changing his mind. He put a hardening on his heart where Satan is absolutely convinced that he can change the course of history. And that I understand what God wrote, but you know what? The whole reason I rebelled against him in the first place is I think I can take him. And I understand what he wrote down. Watch how embarrassed he's going to be when it doesn't turn out that way. I believe that there's that type of hubris, that type of arrogance in Satan and his absolute anger and hatred for god to destroy all that god has i guess the bottom line on that is does it matter because can we all agree that behind all the earthly bad stuff there's demonic bad stuff so it's all kind of a combo right all right he said this but as it is written and he quotes isaiah 64 4 loosely in other words paul's like Hey, there's this passage that kind of says this. Well, anyway, I wanted to say this. I mean, he's, this is the weirdest quote of a passage. I mean, it's really kind of messed up. So he says this. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You've heard all that, right? You memorized that one? Every commentary said the same thing. Everyone tries to make that about heaven. It's about now. Well, that's intriguing. Have you thought about that? I'm going to suggest that it's both. Do you really think that we can conceive the incredible plans of God either now or the future? If we can't figure it out now, we certainly don't know what's coming, right? All right. So what have we heard so far? What we've heard is this constant phrase of saying, you're not going to get it unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. The world is blocked and they don't understand and only the believer can understand this and, and only our eyes are opened and stuff like that. Let me, let me just stop here and tell you some stories. I need us to grasp the fact that truth, with a capital T, is only spiritually discerned. You're only going to understand God's ways if God lets you know. Right? You go, I, I get that. No, I don't think you get that. And here's why. Because of the way that we evangelize and share our faith. We still think that we are convinced that we need to get them to heaven. No, you do not. You've never saved anyone. You will never save anyone. Your job is to present it 
And then the Holy Spirit determines whether or not their heart is open or their mind is open or their ears are open and only he saves anyone, right? Let me tell you a story. So the other night, Susie and I, we didn't have anything on our DVR where where I was doing my baseball cards and, you know, just doing stuff to just kind of chill out. And we're clicking through the channels. There was nothing on. And so I was just flying through and I landed on L.A. Inc., but you know what LA Inc is? It's a, I'm sure all of you have it DVR'd. It is, uh, it is a tattoo show, alright? Kat Von D is a famous tattoo artist and she opened up a shop down in LA and she has some of the world's best tattoo artists on her staff. And when I happened to see this gal was getting a cross on her back and it, and it said, um, so what, uh, how did it start? Um, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? She's a professional poker player and she was raised Christian. She goes, I, I'm becoming successful and I, and I know that there's so much temptation out there and I always want a reminder of what's truly important. And I was like, what is this, like Christian night on, you know, L.A. Inc.? This is weird. This is not a Christian show. This is, you know, they usually have these hardcore people come in and all kinds of crazy stories, you know, about why they're getting tattoos. Well, then right after her comes this guy who's just weird looking. I mean, there's, there's like weird looking and then there's like really weird looking. And I was like, man, this guy's really weird looking. Now he's got all kinds of weird long braids. He's super gaunt and skinny and, and, uh, and he's just kind of trippy. He has kind of weird tattoos and, and he was going to get a picture of his new album on his calf. And it was a picture of him laying down with blood coming out of his eyes. And you're like, this is so odd. I don't understand. But I went, I recognize him from somewhere. I know this guy. Sure enough, right underneath him, Throws up his name, Brian Head Welch. And I was like, that's how I know this guy. And you're like, who's the guy? All right. Brian Welch was the guitarist of a band named Korn. Now, Korn is incredibly popular in the heavy metal realm. So they are famous for never coming off tour. They just tour year in, year out. So for a decade, they just tour and go all over the world. And they became extremely popular, have their music all over the radio, and they have their own style of metal, right? So, and they're pretty hardcore guys. They are, um, the, the singer and some of the other guys, they're pretty dark, all right? Very, very talented. Well, Brian, they all have nicknames. His nickname was Head. So, Head was in there for 10 years, and then he quit the band. So sure enough, he's in there and he's starting to get the tattoo. And he said, I just put out my first solo album called God Save Me For Myself. And so the guy starts asking him questions. He goes, so hey, so quitting the band, that must have been hard, huh? And he goes, yeah, it actually went really bad. Because I didn't even tell the guys in person, I sent him an email. We had been together for 10 years. He goes, but what they didn't know is that I was a meth addict. I didn't tell them I had become a recluse for months on the tour bus. I would play the show and then I'd withdraw. I didn't talk to them. I did not hang out with them. I stayed in my room for months on end. I was a single father. I had nannies watching my daughter. I wasn't even being a dad. I'm not proud of it. I'm embarrassed. And my whole life was dominated by meth. He said, so... Um, they didn't know how bad I was. I finally got to the end of my rope. And he said, one night I loaded up on meth and I went to a church. And I walked into the church and I saw everybody with their hands raised in the air. And I thought, these are the stupidest people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he said, either they're a whole group of morons 
or they know something that I don't. And right there loaded, I thought, what if? He didn't say why he went to the church that night. He goes, I went home. I was so loaded I couldn't sleep all night. And I went home and I said, Jesus Christ, if you're real, please take away my desire for drugs and make me a daddy again. And he said, and I became a Christian. And that's why I quit the band. Now, let me ask you this. How many times do you think Brian had heard about God? Probably a thousand. How many times did he be in around Christian people? Probably a lot. Why that time? I mean, if you're ever talking about a time you're probably resistant to God, you're loaded on meth in church. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's how you get the spirit. I don't know. <laughs> but I would suggest you're probably not in the right space. Your, your heart's not prepared to go to church. I don't know. But that night was something different. And that night, the Holy Spirit whispered to him and said, Brian, come home. Ever since then, he has put out a solo album. He wrote two books. The first book that he wrote was called Head to Christ, and that's his, his online ministry now. But is he perfect? No, he's a brand new believer, and the whole spotlight's on him. So the church has slaughtered him, and the world has slaughtered him. But he loves Christ. And here in the middle of L.A. Inc., we had this one girl talking about the gospel message. And then we had Brian giving his testimony. And I was going, man, that's a hardcore Christian L.A. Inc. night. (laughs) When Paul tells his testimony, he says this. After I saw a bright light and Jesus Christ called me to himself, I couldn't see. I was blind. He said even though his eyes were opened, he could not see anything. He then was led by the hand into a town and a man named Ananias prayed for him. And when he prayed for him, something like scales fell off his eyes and I could see. What was that? What scale stuff is on his eyes? That's weird. Well, you think that's not a message for us? You think that that doesn't have a deeper meaning? Okay, think about this. How many blind people did Jesus heal? It seems like they recorded a whole bunch. Do you really think that's all about blind people seeing? Or you don't think that it's about spiritual sight. You don't think that there's a whole underlying current about the fact that we all have eyes and we're just not seeing. He says, to him who has ears, let him hear. That's pretty ridiculous because everyone in the crowd had ears. But what's his point? You're not using them. So here, I think, is the message for us. We can be around and hear all kinds of Jesus stuff, but unless the Holy Spirit opens the door, none of it's getting in. We pick it up with this and we'll close it out. Verse 10. These things, these transformational truths of God, God has revealed, apocalypto, taken the lid off, pulled the curtain back, demonstrated to us the deep things to us through the Spirit as He opened our eyes. For the Spirit searches everything. The Holy Spirit knows everything going on, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? That simply means this. If you have a thought that you want to convey to me, you know what you want to say, but your communication is limited to me. I only know part of what you're trying to say, but you know what you're saying. Your spirit knows what you're trying to say in the same way. God's communication to us is limited because we're limited, but the Holy Spirit is conveying it to us in bite sized pieces every day of our life. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
Now we, first the apostles, then all believers in general, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we share this, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We share our testimony, we tell our stories, and those that God has opened up their eyes, ears, and hearts will receive it. The natural person, the person that doesn't know God, the person that is not opened by the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He is not able to do so. He can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things against the Word of God, but is himself judged by no one but Christ. For who has understood, quoting Isaiah forty thirteen? who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Who knows God so well they can give him advice? But we have the mind of Christ. We have been renewed, we are listening, and our ears have been opened. All right, let me close with this thought. If God wants to communicate a message and he taps you on the shoulder, what are you going to do? You going to speak for him? You going to talk for him? Or do you got a whole list of excuses on what you're going to do? What if God says, I want you to love on that person. I want you to share that message with that person. I want you to talk to that person over there. What if the person says, I want you to lead a Bible study right here. I want you to make sure to mentor that person. I want you to tell that person. Are you going to go through this whole thing about how you are not equipped? God has things to say through you. And some of them are kind of silly. So let me pray. And I'm going to give you the closing challenge I need you to remain for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes and ears that we might receive the truths of God. May your word always speak to us unhindered. In Jesus' name, amen. The closing challenge of today is that when God lays something on your heart to say out loud, don't delay. Say that very thing in love.